0: Good morning and uh, welcome to Restoration Church. My name is Lance. I am uh, one of the teaching pastors here at Restoration Church and I am from Alabama and research suggests that everybody, uh, two in three people from Alabama have an Uncle Bubba. Um, and uh, I am one of those people who have an Uncle Bubba. Some of you may have met Uncle Bubba. He's been around here uh, once I believe. Uh, I learned a lot from Uncle Bubba as I've watched him live life and he, uh, he fulfills his name quite frequently. Um, and what he does and how he lives. So, uh, when he was when he was younger, my Uncle Bubba had uh, started working for a group of people who built uh, house trailers and repaired house trailers. And as he was doing that, he picked up a lot of skills—a little bit of electrical ability as an electrician, a little bit of plumbing ability, a little bit of carpentry. Nothing a lot, but a little bit of everything. It makes sense—you kind of knew that guy before. Uh, so, um, Uncle Bubba, about that time, he was getting younger. He, he was learning, he was growing, he was doing pretty well. But then the company started to having to lay people off, and he got laid off. Well. Uh, he had just had a young kid uh, born to him, uh, not too much before he got laid off. And so f- as, as many people are in that situation, he's a little bit desperate. And he saw an ad in the paper for an experienced plumber and electrician. He thought, well, I've done this kind of stuff a lot. I've, you know, I've, learned, a, I've learned a pretty good bit. I bet I could, I could do that job pretty well. If I don't know something, I'm sure I could learn it. And so he gave him a call up and started in started the interview process. And during the interview process, they asked him, he said, Well, you know, what are what are some of the things you've done? And, well, I've done a lot of plumbing, electrician. Uh, well, have you have you done any uh, deeper plumbing? Have you ever used a rotor router, for example? Um, and he said, Well, he in, in his mind, the dialogue sounded something like, I have no idea what a rotor rooter is. I've never seen one, never heard of one, don't know what it is, but I've done a lot of things, I've learned a lot of things, I can probably figure it out. So his answer was, sure, I've used a rotor router. I've used a rotor rooter lots and lots of times. <laughs> Um, well, he was able to talk to them into getting a job, uh, whether whether he should have gotten the job or not. He's able to talk them into it, and he started work. Well, two or three weeks in, uh, sure enough, he ran into something that caused him a little bit of trouble. He he uh, was uh, what, the job was this. He was a basically an electrician and plumber for an apartment unit uh, there in there in North Alabama, where I'm from. And uh, he got a call that somebody had a stocked up stopped up sink. Well, typically that's no problem. So he went upstairs, uh, the kitchen sink, went to it, opened the opened the cabinets underneath, and started um, undoing the the trap at the bottom where the where you can actually pull stuff out. If you ever cleaned out the sink, you know what that's like, right? You open up the trap usually 99% of the time when a sink is stopped up you just pull that trap out you undo, undo the pipe and you pull it out and you clean it out and you're good. Usually means something's falling down in there maybe you've put too much, too much stuff in the sink. There's all kinds of reasons things could be in that trap but, but uh, in this case when he opened it up he looked through the pipe and the pipe was perfectly clean and he had reached the limits of his plumbing knowledge once he had <laughs> discovered that the pipe was perfectly clean. So he thought to himself well um, you know, they, they gave me this rotor router thing, um, and uh, I may, maybe I could use that to figure out what's going on. So, if you've never seen a rotor router, um, how many of you guys know what a rotor router is? This has been an interesting survey. Okay, there's a very few of us who know, know what a rotor router is. So, I'll use my descriptive skills here, the best of my ability. So, he uh, a rotor router is, is a machine for, for think about this as links of cable or, or uh, links of rod, if you will, and on the very end of it is something that kind of looks like a, a little mouth a little small mouth uh, that, that might look like a a lizard mouth or snake mouth or gator mouth. Does that make sense? On the very end of these cables or these rods is this little mouth and you, uh, you attach several pieces together as you need them to extend deep into a pipe system and you attach on the other end uh, to the rotor rooter you attach it to a machine that ter- turns the pipe or turns the, the, the cable, the actual rotor rotor device. So you can stick it up in something, you turn it on and it spins around and cleans it out. Does that make sense? Can everybody picture this right now? All right, cable on the end of the cable, little mouth. Um, big, big pieces of, of metal extended. you put it in the cut. you put it up in the pipe to clean it out. You turn on the machine on the other end, it turns it. Okay, pretty simple, right? I think everybody's tracking. So he, uh, he got the rotor rooter out, and he, he put it in there, and uh, he, he turned it on. He was trying to kind of, as it was spinning, kind of wiggle it up in there, and he felt felt the hard space, and he thought to himself, that's probably it. That was probably what was sticking it up in there. Maybe some paper got down in there. I don't know what it is, but there it is. So he, he kind of nudged on a little bit. It wouldn't go. So he nudged a little bit harder, and it wouldn't go. So he just reared back as hard as he could. And he pushed as hard as he could right through, and sure enough, he was able to clear out, clear out the spot, the, the stuck spot. He thought, well, that's good. I was able to get that, and that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. He thought to himself. So he said, you know what? Um, they're, They're paying me to come up here. They pay me a service charge every time I walk into the room. Uh, I probably should go ahead and do a really good job of getting this really cleaned out and really set up for these guys. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to put a little bit of extra extra piping, ex- extra uh, rod onto this rotor rooter and give him a little bit extra clean job. You know, uh, he was a good guy. I always tried to get things a little bit extra done. So he put in a little three or four more feet and put it on there and shoved it on through. Felt a little bit, a little bit of resistance, but not much. And put a little bit more pipe, three or four more feet on and shoved it on through. And he's doing a really good job, really excited about himself. Well, about this time, he heard somebody running upstairs, banging on the door, saying, Cut it off! Cut it off! Cut it off! As as he uh, let the the door open, the superintendent of the apartment complex ran into the room, ran into the door. This is a true story. Uh, So far, you probably won't believe me, but this is a true story. Ran into the room, running, cut it off! Cut it off! So he ran over, jerked the plug out of the rotor rooter and the, as the superintendent started to catch his breath from running upstairs, he said, you don't know what you've done. You don't know what you've done. He said, what do you mean, what have I done? I have been able to clean out some good, I mean, I've got. I was able to get this pipe cleaned out, the drain cleaned out, done a really good job here getting everything and everything set up as your, as your plumber. He said, well, hey, you, you, you did a good job, all right about 30 seconds ago to a minute ago a lady ran downstairs screaming screaming her head off there's a snake there's a snake in my apartment and it's eating the, it's eating the carpets and it, it's eating the drapes and what had happened is, is he had he had pushed through and when he pushed through this was like a cheap apartment complex he'd pushed through not a, a stop in the pipe but all the way through the wall into the other sink and the lady was sitting there doing dishes and out between her legs ran a, what she thought was a snake and it, it went into the other room and it was just a flopping around grabbing carpet and grabbing curtains and, and grabbing things. So that was my Uncle Bubba, And in that moment, he taught me a very, very important lesson, and that is uh, sometimes you don't, don't know what you're doing, right? Uh, sometimes it feels like you wish you had a little bit more training or a little bit more knowledge or maybe a better user's manual. Uh, you ever felt that way about life? You ever felt like you wish you had somebody who could kind of train you and teach you to keep you out of Roto-Rooter situations um, as, a, as a husband? Or as a dad, uh, maybe you wish you had somebody to give you a little bit of training and guidance uh, in in uh, your career choices or your vocational moves, uh, your financial management. There's so many areas of life that I run into where I wish I had somebody who could help me out. Oftentimes, it's my spiritual life, it's my pursuit of Jesus. I wish somebody was there with me to help guide me and help help me make choices, help me learn more deeply who Christ is and what what, what how I follow Him more effectively. There's nowhere more more uh, often that I find that place. Then when I think about the mission Jesus has called us on as believers. If we're followers of Jesus, we are supposed to follow Jesus on the mission that He is on in the pursuit of other people and helping other people discover the greatness of God. So if you're like me and you've always wondered, man, I wish somebody could help me with that because it's hard, it's difficult. If anybody in here feels really great about how effective they are on the mission of Jesus, when you're when this is over, could you come talk to me and help me out? Because I think for the most part, myself and a lot of the other believers that I've talked to, We encounter a very similar similar feeling, and that is we wish we knew more. We wish we had more help. We wish it was less difficult. Uh, We often feel like we're in over our head. And as believers, I want us to look at uh, Matthew chapter 9 together today, and we're going to understand a little bit of a text that's going to help us understand uh, how Jesus might help us dig a little bit deeper, grow in our pursuit of the mission of Jesus, and maybe not feel like we're in so much over our head uh, without the training that we need. So, so Matthew chapter 9. We're actually going to skip to, to verse 12, kind of the end of where I want us to go to get the idea that the big idea that I think is really important for us. Well, Jesus has been in a conversation for, for a few minutes with some scribes, some of the religious people of the day. He's been in this conversation, and uh, they've been challenging what he's doing. Uh, they don't like how he acts. They don't like where he goes. They don't like who he talks to. And so at the end, he tells them why he does what he does. As you read this, as we read this together, I want you to reflect on this. How well would this define your why? So as you pursue Jesus and the actions that you take on behalf of Jesus, how would this also reflect your why for living? How would this reflect your why for what you do at work? How would this reflect your why for what you do at school? How how accurately would this be your mission and your purpose for your life as a family and your life in your family as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father? As a child, he describes his mission this way. Verse number 12. But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Or another way to put that is is I desire to be in a ministry, in a, a mission of restoration and healing, not religious ritual. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. You see, Jesus says that his mission on the earth should be reflected in a statement that describes someone in pursuit of those who need Christ the most. Those who are most broken, those who have the deepest, biggest, widest holes in their hearts and in their being, those who are at the bottom and those who are at the top. Jesus says, I am here to help them discover the grace and power and connection with God. That's why Jesus said he was here. I think it's a challenge for us as we start digging into the story to help us understand why this story is so important is to reflect on our lives and to compare our mission and our pursuits with His. Now, as a body, as a community here at Restoration Church, we will always be tempted to turn inward in our effects and in our, in our motion. And there's a lot of things that are important for churches to do, right? We should help each other grow closer to Christ. We should serve one another. We should take care of one another. We should pray for each other. But all that we should do, all that we do, should serve the ultimate mission that Jesus was on. And that is seeking those who don't know Him to be a part of His family, to be a part of the community of Christ, to be in union and friendship with God Himself. That was the mission of Jesus so, with that in mind, I want us to come back a little bit. That's where, we, that's where he ends the conversation, but let's see where it starts. Look at verse number 9 in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the, at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. So, as we see that text together, Jesus approaches a guy named Matthew. Now, and if you haven't read this story before, you might notice that Matthew's name is at the top of your Bible. And that's because he wrote the part of the Bible that we're actually reading today. Now, that's a, that's a good sign, right? We know this story ends up pretty well. Matthew ends up in a very significant place, in such a significant place that he writes the first book of the New Testament, the part of the Bible that focuses in on Jesus fulfilling, uh, fulfilling the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Matthew wrote that. So that's where the story of Matthew ends. This is where it begins. Jesus looks at somebody like Matthew and he says to him, follow me. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. Now, there are three different kinds of tax collectors during this day. There was a a Roman regional officer tax collector who had been a Roman citizen, probably a Roman military officer, and he would have been in charge making sure that all the taxes in the entire region were collected. Then there would have been a chief tax collector that would have been, been responsible for like a county or an area. Uh, there's a very popular chief tax collector in the Bible a little bit of a smaller fellow, anybody know his name? Zacchaeus, yeah he climbed up on the up on a tree, right? And uh, so Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he would have been more of one who's watching tax trade so when goods went out of the the community and out of the city he would make sure they were taxed appropriately when they came in he would make sure they were taxed appropriately. And then there was the bottom rung of the tax collecting ladder the thugs of the tax collecting industry And that was Matthew. Matthew was one of the thugs of the tax collecting industry. Now, if you've watched movies before, to best understand what this position was like, think about a movie where the mafia might be represented. And the mafia might own like a neighborhood or a couple neighborhoods or a city. And in that that city, the mafia goes up to like these mom and pop shops and they say to the mom and pop shops, hey, we're going to protect you. From who, I don't really know. But we're going to protect you, but to protect you, we need, probably from us, right? We're going to protect you from ourselves, but in order to protect you, you need to give us $100 a month, and then, then we'll protect you. Well, that never ends up well in movies, does it? Like, somebody can't pay their bill, somebody can't pay their loan shark, and then the, thug, the thugs in the mafia come up, and they, they bring their bats in, and they, they give them what for in those situations. So this is the same idea that the tax collector, uh, that the rung of tax collectors that we're discovering in the life of Matthew. Matthew was on the bottom of the bottom when it came to people who were respected in Jewish society. Now, he wasn't a poor guy. I mean, he was actually probably pretty wealthy because in this industry was one of the industries you made a lot of money. I mean, he would have probably been one of the wealthier people that we encounter in the New Testament, Some of the, one of the more wealthy people. And what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that Jesus, Jesus has a mission that doesn't have limits. The mission of Christ has absolutely zero limits. Whether we're talking about the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich, whether we're talking about the person who's most uh, desirable or least desirable, the mission of Jesus has no limits. How do we often limit the mission that God has called us on? Maybe sometimes we want to limit the mission simply by being in a project-oriented, mission-minded program. Hey, give me a program. Give me a volunteer coordinator. Give me three people who are going to coordinate it. Let me once every three months go down to the mission project and as as daintily as I can, like help some people out a little bit. And then when I go, when I get done, i run home and i wash my hands as quick as I can. And i have check the box and I've said, okay, I've done my mission project. That's one way we limit the mission of Jesus. I think sometimes we limit the mission of Jesus just simply by by socioeconomic standards. I know of churches that limit their outreach to certain socioeconomic groups because they don't want the carpet in their church buildings messed up. Because they don't want their, their, their gyms torn down or torn up. I know of churches that look at the mission that way versus a mission that's without limits. I know of people... They will not invite someone into their house to sit on their couch because they don't want to get their couch dirty. The mission has limits. The mission of Jesus had no limits. It's a challenge for me. Now, anything I say today, if it comes across my heart, let me, let me tell you, nobody is, nobody's more guilty of the sins that I'm going to preach about today <laughs> as we preach about them than I am. I also am in that place. I can remember uh, uh, several years ago, I was pastoring a church in Tennessee at the time. And we went to help somebody out and we went to help them move. And it was a family who was really suffering in severe poverty and every single thing you put, picked up, hundreds of roaches came out from underneath it. Hundreds of them. And I just remember leaving that day and just how, just, just to be, be transparent and honest, how disgusted I was. How repulsed I was. And I can remember as I was washing my hands, God's Spirit just speaking in my heart, Lance, you were much dirtier. Lance, you're much more broken. You're much more in need of grace. The mission should be without limits. Now as we keep reading, verse number 10, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" So what what did Matthew do as somebody who was following Jesus? What did he do? Immediately he joined Jesus on the mission. So this is our logic test for the day. If you're following somebody, where do you go? Where they go. Yeah, we're good at this. If you're following somebody, what do you do? And what did Jesus say he was up to? He said his mission was very clear to seek those who needed the needed the grace of Christ, to seek those who needed the gospel. We as a church should reflect and evaluate how effective we are. We as believers should reflect and evaluate how well we are following Jesus, not by how many Bible verses we've memorized or whether we've got a good collection of Christian t-shirts in the closet or whether we only listen to Christian radio. We should reflect and evaluate how effective we are in our following of Jesus, how mature we are, by how clearly connected we are to the mission of jesus if we are following jesus we'll be on the mission of jesus we will be on a mission pursuing those who don't know him and we as a church and we as believers ought to constantly assess and evaluate how good are we at doing that because we can be really great at studying theology as believers in his churches we can be really great at bible studies we can be really great at huddling up in our little safe protected venues and making sure that we know a lot about scripture But where we seem to struggle is in going on mission, following Jesus where he went and where he goes, following him to the no limits territories for those who need Christ the most. We should always evaluate based on whether we're on mission or not. I love that Matthew's very first story about him is he is immediately on mission. And what did he do when he was on mission? So when I think of missionaries, for most of my life when I thought of missionaries, I thought of people who went to like Africa, right? Went to Africa and and uh, they went to some hut and they sat down with some some old skinny black dude in the in the hut and they they talked for a little bit about the the things that go on in the in the hut and, and then they they took care of them right they, they they took care that's what I thought of I thought of when I thought of missionaries do you know Matthew actually represents more of what a missionary is and what a missionary should be than that vision I had not that that's not good that's great missions but. Matthew was on mission, living as a missionary when we find him. And what did he do? He threw a party. Matthew, as a missionary, his first missionary project was he threw a party. Hey, everybody, come over to my house. I've got some new friends. I want you to meet my old friends. We want to get together. We want to meet each other. We want to hang out. If you and I looked at our spiritual lives and we measured the, the growth we have as followers of Jesus and as believers, not by all the things of, you know, if I was going to go on mission, I might, so let me go on mission. Let me go maybe put a platform up on the street and stand on it and preach or something. Or let me put together a nice cool church structure and go stand up and, and make sure we have like this good stuff up here with good sermons and good music. Like that must be what it means to go on mission. Matthew says, Jesus says, no, that's not what it means to go on mission. Go throw a party. Invite some friends over. Hang out. Get to know each other. That's where Matthew started. And who did he start with? says he started with tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors were what? Those were his buddies, right? Those were the people he already knew. And the sinners, sinners probably isn't here referring to kind of like a broad general idea of sinners. Like we're all sinners. We all, we all, the Bible says everybody is somebody who has fallen short of God's standard. We're desperately in, needs of, in need of God's grace because all of us are so far from meeting the, meeting the expectations of God that we need grace through Jesus for us to be acceptable to God and become God's friends and God's family. All of us are sinners. Here it's probably not referring to that specifically, but more generally to reflect on what Matthew's life would have been like before this moment. And that's he was just hanging out with uh, you know, the, the bottom of the earth in, this, in some ways. Like This is a way to speak to the fact these were people who had a very low reputation in society. Now we know that, or we can at least assume that based on the Pharisees' response. Because this wasn't sinners in the sense of some scribes and Pharisees are sinners and we're all sinners. Or the scribes and Pharisees would have been like, Hey, bring them on. These guys are good. But the scribes and Pharisees don't like this group. This was probably some drug dealer. You know, in our culture, in our world, this would have been the drug dealer. This would have been the prostitute. This would have been the lady with a bad reputation. And the guy that could not keep his mouth clean. (laughs) And the other guy who told a lot of bad, dirty jokes. That's who was at this party. The the language at this party would have made you uncomfortable if if you get sensitive to those kind of things. The jokes would have made you uncomfortable. The music you probably wouldn't have liked. The Pharisees didn't. Matthew threw a party and he made sure that the tax collectors and the sinners were there. I like that he started with the tax collectors, he started with the people that he knew. I think it's a lesson for us start with the people you've already started with. How many times do we try to make the mission of God that we're called to be on so difficult? And I think we like to make it difficult because if we make it difficult enough, we have a really good excuse not to do it, right? I mean, if the only thing that missions is is going overseas and and spending the rest of your life in Africa and hut, that's tough. And probably we can even assume that maybe a small percentage of us are never going to get there. But if the mission is engaging the people that we already know, starting with the people we've already started with, with the gospel, with friendship, if that's the mission, then all of us can start doing it today. Just like Matthew did. Following Jesus means being on the mission of Jesus. And we can start where Matthew started. He started with those he already knew. It's actually something that we see again in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we're going to discover that Jesus is going to send out the disciples, the 12 apostles, uh, on a mission trip, if you will, uh, out to uh, the other cities in the area to do the same thing Matthew did. And he tells them an interesting command. He says, Give them your peace when you go into the city, go up to the house and give them your peace. So what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. shalom, right? I had a friend of mine this week. We were texting back and forth. Um, uh, Ross, uh, was a friend of mine uh, named Ross was texting back and forth with. And as he closed out the text, he said, Shabbat Shalom. He's a Jewish friend. And uh, that's, that's a, a greeting that he gave me or well wishes for the weekend that he gave me. Well, in this, cur- in this cur- uh, culture, it was very similar to that. You'd walk up to a house and you would say, Shalom. And their response, the expected response, if they wanted to embrace you as a friend, was shalom in return. It's not much different than if I walked up to somebody and I went to go shake your hand today, right? You'd shake your hand. How are you doing? Right. So, that, so that's pretty much the way we do it, right? We, we, we do that. Now, if you ever had anybody, you go to shake their hand and they're like, Psh. Right? I mean, that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be fun. That's not Nice. So in this culture today, the similar idea that the shalom represented in their day would have been that handshake. And what's Jesus saying? He's saying look for somebody who's open to a relationship, open to a friendship. Somebody that's already creating space for you to, take, to, to get connected with them, to get to know them, to love them, to serve them. Somebody that's, that's ready for you. Does this not speak to the reality that the Holy Spirit should be... We, we can expect that the Holy Spirit is going before us. The Holy Spirit is the one really on mission anyway, and we're just joining in what He does. Um, I don't know a lot about NASCAR, and I'm about to try to do a NASCAR illustration. Football, I got it. Basketball, I got it. Baseball, a little bit. NASCAR, not at all. But, so, correct me later if I'm wrong. Let's pretend like it's right, okay? For now, let's pretend like it's correct. After the service is over, you can correct me. So, from what I understand from some of my friends who are into NASCAR, that you get power by joining a group of other cars. So, like, if you're all by yourself, you don't have as much power than if you join a group of, like, three cars in a row. So you're drafting off each other. And then if there's three or four cars in a row and you're drafting off each other, you actually combine and multiply exponentially the power that you have so that the four of you can go faster with more power than one of you. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Now I know a lot about NASCAR now. Um, uh, So, so... In the same way, when we as believers are on mission with Jesus, when we are in the draft with Jesus, we can experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We can expect God to go before us and work instead of us and beyond us and above and beyond exponentially. We can become more powerful and more effective. The Holy Spirit goes before us. And we discover that the Holy Spirit has gone before us because we can look for how God's Spirit is already working in people's lives. And we can just connect to what He's already doing. Start with those you've already started with. So we summarize this whole big idea this way. Make friends, not converts. Another way to say it may even be make friends before you make disciples. So to live on mission, to live as a missionary, we've talked about for the several weeks what does it look like to be in a position of reckless abandon towards Jesus. Absolute surrender. He's worth that. We saw through the resurrection in the body of Christ last week that He's worth that. We saw the week before that because of the power of the cross, He's worth our reckless abandon, our total surrender. And in that space, we are seeking and called to live as missionaries. Every believer, if you're following Jesus, you're going to go where he goes. You're going to do what he does. And Jesus is on mission. Jesus is trying to find everybody and anybody he can to help them discover the greatness of the kingdom of God. He knows that without God, you are broken. You are sick. You are full of holes. And in Christ, God can put you back together and restore you. Jesus is on mission to bring people back to God. We should be joining Him in that mission. How do we do that? We make friends, not converts. Focus on building loving relationships, making friends with people. Now what are those friendships? What should they look like? So as I read this passage of Scripture in verse 9 through 12, I wondered why it was here. Because what's going on through this text is the Bible keeps talking about Faith. So at the beginning of chapter, chapter 8, there's this guy that had a really great faith. And then towards the middle of chapter 8, the disciples are called and said they, said they have very little faith or weak faith. And then at the end of chapter 9, we see a lady who touches Jesus and she has great faith again. So this is a whole set of stories about people having great faith. But what in the world does this passage have to do about having faith? But then I noticed something. That actually what we read just now is more of an illustration of what comes before it. Look at chapter nine, verse one. So he got into a boat and crossed over and came to his hometown. Jesus even started where he had already started. He went to a place he knew. He went to a place he was comfortable. Verse two. Just then, some men brought to him paralytic lying on a stretcher. I want to pause there and make a couple comments. When it says "brought," this is a, a form of a word that means had been bringing. In in the Greek language, this was originally written in Greek. In the Greek language, this is the most emphatic way you can describe a process over an event. And What Matthew is helping us see is that this wasn't just an event. How often do we look at kind of the gospel moment as an event? The event maybe of somebody getting baptized or somebody raising their hand. I'd like to trust Jesus. Or maybe we look at the event of us telling them that one time the gospel. When we learn about how Jesus teaches us to go on mission, we discover that we should look at it as a progress, a process. Progress is in the process. We should look at it as a journey. As a matter of fact, the next phrase it says is that he was lying on a a stretcher. The word actually doesn't mean lying on a stretcher. It's an interesting translation. The better translation would be was put on a stretcher, which makes sense for a paralytic, right? he's not just lying there. He was put on there. And I think the reason why that's important to bring up is because these guys, these friends, what kind of friends were they? Make friends not But What kind of friends do we need to be? These friends were taking care of a paralytic and had been taking care of him for a long time. And when Jesus looks at the moment of faith, he doesn't look at the moment of faith. He looks at the journey of many, many conversations and many days and service and love that that it took to bring this person to this moment of faith. Have you ever taken care of a paralytic? I'm sure Will, I'm sure Will has a few times. Some, some rest. Have you ever taken somebody who's really sick? Not an easy job, is it? I've got a friend at work whose dad is a paralytic, and uh, he talks to me a lot about it, and it's amazing how much work he has to do. If you've ever had a, a parent who's, who's aging, you've experienced something similar. He has to go in every single day and just turn his dad over, he has to go in every single day and change his dad's diaper. That's the kind of friend that Jesus calls us to be to those who need Him when we go on mission. Are you that kind of friend? It's not just being a friend who likes to hang out and play video games. That's okay too. Playing little video games is good. Maybe watching some football is good. But what about the kind of friend who's willing to get your hands dirty to serve, to love, even so much so that it could be described by the type of work and effort it takes to take care of somebody who's paralyzed paralytic changing dirty diapers and then Jesus says this and we'll stop here seeing their faith Jesus told the paralytic have courage son your sins are forgiven anything weird about that to y'all it says their faith seeing their faith why would Jesus forgive this guy's sins based on their faith Well, the first thing is is that there includes the guy who became a believer, right? There isn't y'all versus this one guy. Make sense? So seeing their faith, he says, be of good courage, your sins are forgiven. But as the other two ideas remind us, it wasn't just the faith of this one man in this one moment that created this event. It was the faith of a group of friends together loving and serving changing dirty diapers, that led to the moment where one guy says, yeah, I trust that guy. I trust Jesus to heal me, to restore me, to make me whole. We say this a lot around here that missions is a team sport. So we don't believe when you hear a message like this, your response ought to be you go out and live on mission. It should be that you live out on mission together. Imagine what it would look like in this city. If we took this group, invited up in a group, maybe six, seven, five, six, seven, there's maybe four or five groups of us at that. And Imagine if we lived on mission like we've seen today. Imagine if we started to make friends, not converts. What would it look like if we had a party? We threw a party at my house on Friday night just to hang out and just to connect and just to love and serve. But wait, 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 when are we going to open the Bible? We may not do that. We might watch a movie instead might get somebody to play some music. What if we we followed the example of Matthew and Jesus of going on mission, and, and we had groups like that all over the city making friends, having parties, making friends with people who need to know Jesus. But what if it didn't stop there? What if we became the kind of friends, maybe not in the first event, but the second or the third or the tenth or the hundredth, what if we became the kind of friends of those people who still don't know Christ, Who still don't know Jesus, who still don't know his love? What if we become the kind of of friends that we were diaper-changing friends? What would that be like in your life? Do you have a friend that will take care of you in your dirtiest, most honest, raw moments? What would it be like if we were that for each other? What would it be like if we were that for our city? And we have a way that we try to do that here at Restoration Church. We call them missional communities, sometimes missional family groups. You might hear us interchange those two. And the whole purpose is for us as believers to live on mission. Missional community is real simple. Real, real simple. I think it's so simple sometimes it scares us and sometimes we try to complicate it. It's so simple. Its what we do instead of traditional small groups. So instead of getting a bunch of people together who sit around and, and study scripture, we do, that, we do that in a different way. We do that at a different place, but the, but the core to get people into that kind of relationship is a missional community. A missional community is real simple. Find, some, find a few believers you'd like to hang out with, start hanging out with them, invite some non-believers to hang out too. Now we started this whole message with this idea that, man, it seems like it can be hard to live on mission. It can be hard. It's trying to like use a rotor router that you've never used before. But when we look at mission like Matthew, lived out in what we do here called missional communities, I think we can do this. We can find a few believers we'd like to hang out with. We can start hanging out with them and then start inviting non-believers to hang out too until we get to a moment that we can introduce them to the greatness and grace of Jesus that we've discovered ourselves. And with that, let me end with this last thought. Think about that paralytic for a moment. As broken, as empty, at the end of the end, at the bottom of the bottom, as much as any human being could be. He can't even get, him own, he can't even get his own self to church. He can't even get his own self to Jesus. And there he is, laying there in the squalor, filthy, Probably a stench. Not a candidate, maybe, for a lot of accolades and praise. Not a candidate for public office. Not a candidate to be royalty. Not a candidate to be mayor. But a perfect candidate for the grace of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, and the paralytic doesn't say a word. He doesn't raise his hand saying, I'd like to receive Christ. He doesn't fill out a card. He doesn't walk down an aisle. He can't walk. doesn't even open his mouth. And Jesus looks into a heart that believes and trusts in him. And he says, even though you're broken, be healed. Even though you're hurting, be at peace. Even though you're empty, be whole. Your sins are forgiven. And God today, with anybody in this room and any of the friends we know, as we love them and as we serve them, and as you look towards Him, He will also look at you and say, Behold, your sins are forgiven. As you and your heart, with a simple moment of simple faith, respond to the Gospel and respond.